A cholesterol of nine is extremely high and something needs to be done now. I would suggest this person very likely needs medication straight up. I mean, diet is one thing, but you can kind of expect that diet will usually shave 10 to 15% off a person's cholesterol if they stick to a low cholesterol diet. But a cholesterol of nine is a very high risk uh, level of cholesterol in terms of heart disease. So this person, I would suggest, needs to get themselves to uh, a doctor and get themselves probably some medication to pull it down. It's way too high. Well, our friend like Shane Coleman has a constant battle against cholesterol. And then you have a fellow like me, bacon, egg and sausage, who's four point something. It, a lot of this, it, to be fair, this may not be a person like who's a super heavyweight in terms No, of not at all. This, this is genetic or whatever. Your maybe. cholesterol is lower than mine, George, which is which is slightly galling, I have to, I have to <laughs> say, considering what you get up to. Well, having talked about cholesterol and maybe overweight, <clears throat> I really empathise with uh, Dan in Galway because when I was a kid, I was tall, I was very thin and I was trying to put on weight to play rugby. How do you put on weight if you're underweight and you want to do it in a healthy way? I saw that and I thought that was interesting because I've, I've, I've often met, now they're certainly in the minority in society now, but, but these very wiry, sporty guys and they want to bulk up, but they don't want to eat, you know, junk. It's very difficult to do it without eating junk, to be honest, because to put on weight, you need to have excess calories. Food that's rich in calories is usually high sugar, high fat kind of food. Um, you can also add in protein. Protein is good for a bit of bulk too, particularly if you want to gain muscle. So there's no harm in eating, you know, meat, fish, eggs, that kind of thing. But I think realistically, if you just want to put on weight, eat a couple of pizzas, eat a couple of bowls of ice cream. What's the big deal? Because you're putting on the weight and once you're fit and healthy and active and you're not going into the overweight or the obese category, that's a way and you'll turn that food into muscle and everything provided you're staying sporty and active. I'm not sure that you can kind of have your cake and eat it as in I'm going to eat loads and loads and loads of string beans and I'm going to put on weight. It's not really going to happen. Disagree. What do you think you should do? Well, like I'm the world's leading expert. I spent I spent half a lifetime on this as well. Yeah, well, in a sense, like because I was tall and skinny, I, I like I spent twenty years trying to put on weight. The first thing is, are you going to talk about the eleven pints of milk a day? No. No, okay. No. Weight training, and what you do is you do very low repetitions of very of the highest weight you yep. can bear, obviously. So instead of doing like 10 repetitions, you yep. only do three, and you do five sets of three. And, for, and what you do is you do exercises that affect the main muscle mass. So you do bench press, which affects your, your, your chest and so on. You do squats. Squats and bench press are, are great weight gainers. Great weight gainers. They will bulk you. Add to that. Add to that. For instance, I don't know whether it's still on the market or not, but like we give old people Complan, don't we? We do. And like Complan, as best we know, there's no danger after effects to Complan. No, but but what it is is basically it's a calorific drink. So it's yes. got fat and sugar-based Correct. compounds in it with yeah. a few sort of vitamins as well. So it's not really much different than eating anything else, to be honest, but it's concentrated in a small amount. A tub, well, of, uh, a tub yeah. of ice cream and a multivitamin will do the same thing well, for look, you. Well, look, I'm an expert on tubs of ice cream. <laughs> like Ben and Jerry's, I'm, I'm your man. But you'd have to eat an awful lot of ice cream. You whereas are, if you, you went with the comp plan, you might... You, you know, are right start. about exercise against resistance, though, because that yeah. is that, that will give you kind of muscle and bulk. Um, but yeah, I, I still, I'd be going for the Cherry Garcia myself. What's my 
What's lithium? That sounds like a battery. But somebody says, does lithium damage your kidneys? What's that? Lithium is a, a medication that we use to treat bipolar affective disorder, which is which is sometimes used to be known as manic depression, George. And it's what's known as a mood stabiliser. So it's not an antidepressant. It won't necessarily lift your mood and it won't calm you down, but it'll stop your mood from swinging up or down from high to low. And yes, in high doses, uh, lithium could be quite dangerous to your kidneys. Really? That's true. But we take lithium levels on patients who, who are on lithium to make sure that they're in the therapeutic dose. And we'd also look at their renal function as well. Lithium's a very valuable drug. And I'll just tell you why, is that for a lot of patients who are on it, it has no side effects and they don't know they're on it. and They don't feel any different. And it doesn't take anything. It doesn't cost them anything to be on it. It doesn't take anything from them. But it does stop that kind of cycling of their mood, which can be really, really difficult for them in terms of their overall life. It's the right hook, health checkup with Dr. Kira Kelly. Get your questions in to 53106, cost 30 cents. Now, our mouths apparently are incredibly dirty, isn't this right, in terms of germs and stuff. But dental infections affect the rest of our body as well. So this guy is wondering he's had fatigue issues that coincided with dental infection and root canal and so on. True, false? It is possible. Um, you're quite right. In between your teeth and everything, there's also sometimes, you know, little bits of decaying matter and stuff like that. That's why people should floss as well as brush and all that kind of stuff. So there are a lot of germs that live in your mouth, um, on your tongue, in your teeth, all that kind of stuff. When you have a dental extraction or when you have something that kind of leaves a the kind of connects to the blood in your mouth, sort of a bloody socket or whatever, if you've had a tooth pulled, what can happen is bacteria from your mouth can enter your bloodstream. Now, they don't cause sepsis as such usually, which hopefully they don't, but they can sometimes call a thing called a bacteremia where you now have bacteria in your um in your bloodstream. And it causes problems for people who have any kind of heart valve defects because those But are you tired? Well, that's the thing. Your bacteria, if you have a heart valve defect, those bacteria can sit in your heart valves and give you a thing called endocarditis and cause valvular heart disease. Rheumatic fever used to do this to people too. But the the thing is, the thing is this, is it's not impossible that somebody would have a bacteremia and feel unwell, but it isn't very well documented. But I can see that it is logical that it could happen. All right. But like, this fella's tired and he's wondering, is it his, his teeth? There's another fella then is tired all the time and he's eating well and exercising. Like, what? Like, with a doctor, there is symptom and cause. Isn't yeah. that right? For you look at a symptom and you think there's something causing this. Now, when the guy comes in to you and says, Doc, I'm tired all the time, that's the symptom. What's the possible cause? There's, there's loads of possible causes and people come in all the time, so much so that I would often write on a blood form that I'm sending off to a lab, T-A-T-T, which just stands for tired all the time because that's what people come in and say, I'm just tired all the time. So what could be causing it? Loads of things, George. It could be anemia. It could be uh, an underactive thyroid gland. It could be low vitamin B12 or folate levels. It could be low ferritin stores. It could be lots of different things, but it could also be other types of illnesses like viruses or post-viral fatigue. It could also be mood-related. Um, and there could be an occult illness. Somebody could, yes, be brewing something that is a bit nasty that they don't really know about yet, but it's just making them feel very fatigued. Or, or You know this thing, arrhythmia, where people... They're harsh. Not arrhythmia, sorry, I got it wrong. The thing at night where you don't sleep. And Insomnia. Then, no, no, another one. Where the apnea. Di- apnea, <laughs> sleep apnea. It's like a quiz. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't a guy have sleep apnea yes. and therefore wasn't yes. sleeping very well yes. and therefore was tired? So, so the very top, absolutely. And you'll often know that by looking at the guy because people will, will come, yeah, people will come in and they will sit in a chair and they will say, I'm tired all the time and they will look 
like a sleep apneic. And what that means is, is they have a certain build and usually they have a heavy kind of a gullet. And you can then do a sleep study on them and find out if that's an issue. Or you can ask them very simply, who do you live with? Do they say that you snore really badly? And they will sometimes say, oh yeah, my wife won't sleep in the same room as me and that kind of thing. And that's indicative. The, the, the guy with, with the um, tired all the time, he needs to go to his doctor at a minimum for a blood test because a blood test will outrule quite a lot of stuff that might cause fatigue. And then he also needs to maybe have a chat about any physical other symptoms he has or his mood and all that kind of thing. Because those are important and obvious things that he should do. This fellow has darting pains in the arm. That, but had blood pressure and he's fine and so on. Well, I, I saw that and I thought it was interesting because he, he said, I have darting pains in the arm, but my blood pressure is OK. Blood pressure wouldn't give you darting pains in the arm, so they're kind of not related. There are things that can give you darting pains in the arm and some of them would be, you always say, I catastrophize everything. Some of them would be nasty. But you do like it. I you always start with catastrophe. <laughs> and then <laughs> walk back. Do you, the, it's like, do you want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> yeah. um, but equally, he could have a trapped nerve in his shoulder or a trapped nerve in his neck, all that kind of stuff. What I would say to him is just because he's checked his blood pressure doesn't make any difference because first of all it wasn't going to be the cause and second of all if he's having ongoing shooting pains in his arm something is causing it he needs to go and get that assessed oh, oh, but there's another fellow with pain in all sorts of odd places like his left testicle but he went to his doctor and his doctor said no there's nothing wrong with you this is what's he call it non-specific pain or something he, he ended he, he ended his text saying did I agree with the diagnosis and it was quite a lot, just for our listeners, it was quite a long, a long text about the fact that he was having pain in his testicle. He had some back pain. He wasn't feeling that well. Yeah. And he said he went to a doctor and the doctor did a, 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 a urine test on him and said that he was kind of grand. And the physio said it was something to do with his back. This is a 25 year old man with pain in his scrotum or in a testicle. In my view, 100% of the time, that young man needs to have an ultrasound of his testes. I don't agree that doing a urine dipstick is enough to outrule why he has the pain. He has the pain for some reason. The commonest cause of pain in the testes and in the scrotal area is something like epididymitis, which is an inflammation in the epididymis, which is one of the, the stringy bits that a testy hangs from. And those can become inflamed and infected and they can be easily treated. But I would always scan in a 25-year-old because there are other things that can cause it too. You could have a hernia, you could have all sorts of things. But we need to outrule testicular cancer and all that kind of thing. That is not to say this man has any such thing. But he's texting me because he's worried. He's not particularly satisfied. He's looking for a second opinion. And my opinion is he needs a scan. What about a fellow waking up in the middle of the night and he's scratching like crazy like? I think he said was it could it have been stress uh, I doubt it is stress there's a couple of things that could cause you to itch at night it could be something very simple we'll go with simple first it could be like prickly heat George's bed could be too hot he could have too heavy of a duvet um, it could be unfortunately that he has bed bugs or scabies or that kind of thing that causes itch at night he could have a variant on a dermatitis kind of eczema type of thing because that sometimes makes people itch and scratch but at I mean night. it seems to me that if he had a dermatitis type of condition his skin would show that so he'd be saying look awake up scratching at night because I have a condition. Essentially, he's kind of given you, it seems to me, read because we don't see him. So yeah. we're reading through text that there's actually nothing there. And then he suddenly wakes up in the middle of the night scratching. I mean, do, I mean, it could be just a simple. I mean, what would happen if he got Nivea cream and he actually put it on his arms before he went to bed every night? I wonder should, what would should, happen. Should do that. Put on a bit of like E45 and put on uh, and take maybe an antihistamine and see. But it could be the duvet is too heavy. It, it could be people do have bed bugs. People too still get scabies. But there is a variant, a form of atopy, which is 
eczema and asthma and that thing where people do just scratch because they've got kind of sensitive skin. Um, he should try a few simple things. He should try, as you suggested, an emollient, which is the moisturiser, or he should try an antihistamine or to start off with. And of maybe a certain generation. Lighten his duvet. Uh, don't, don't, don't be in a big sweat box lighten at night. Your duvet. Lighten the duvet. A, a lower tug. I have two duvets. I have a winter one and a summer one. Yeah, well, exactly. Switch to your summer duvet, listener. (laughs) Now, this poor fella, this person, uh, has a very large mouth ulcer. Help, help. Can't eat naturally. Can't run. This is awful stuff. Now, my priest told me (laughs) these were got from kissing the wrong kind of girl. Your priest gave you mixed messages, to say the least. For most of my life. <laughs> um, here's the thing. I was thinking about this poor man and a really big mouth ulcer is, you bring tears to your eyes. Yeah. I think what he should get is he should go and get, you know, Norofen liquid that you get for children. Yeah. Okay. I think he should go and buy himself some Norofen liquid. I think he should measure it out. It'll probably be about 20 mils, much more than a kid would take because he wants to take 400 mils of it. I think he should actually put it in and let it sit on top of the ulcer even though that'll sting and then let it slide down the throat so he's taken some anti-inflammatory and I think what he probably wants to do which is also going to be a bit painful is use a bit of salty water in his mouth to swill it and stay on a very sloppy soup ice cream based diet for a day or two but this is an example where he does not have to go at 65 bucks a throw to his doctor he needs pain management well if he went to his local pharmacist I would suggest I think local pharmacists are are underused. Yeah, no? it's a lot of GPs who would say that they're overused. But that's oh, right. well, you see, I knew that. Like you're, you're a bloody trade unionist at, at heart. heart like. Exactly. Yes. No. I'm a champagne socialist, George. Yeah, there was someone here. Oh, yeah. This is quite sad. Sister, at palliative stage oh, of ovarian cancer. How can I support her? Now, what do you do at this stage? I, I think. This is, you know, really sad. And I'm really glad someone texted in with this and it's really touching. Palliative care is is when someone has cancer, George, and they're not going to, to beat the cancer or survive yeah, it. They're coming and at the end. It's about making them comfortable. I think what you can do is you can be there for the person. You can spend as much time as you can with them. You can uh, do what they want. Because sometimes people want to talk. Sometimes people don't want to talk. But I think the very presence and a bit of company, because people are afraid when they're coming to the end of their lives. That's where places like the Harold's Cross Oh, the hospices are amazing. They're I mean, just they're fa- amazing. They're fabulous. Yeah. But I think from for family members' point of view, I remember when my aunt died many years ago with cancer, my father used to spend a lot of time with her. And one of the reasons he said to me afterwards was she used to talk to him about dying. She couldn't talk to my mum, who was her sister. She couldn't talk to any of her kids because they were all terrified of her dying. So they had to all, she had to pretend to them like it wasn't happening because they were all pretending like it wasn't happening. But she used to talk to him about her fears about death. I think you have to allow people who are coming to the end of their lives to be open about that, to be open about the difficulties that are in there. I think you need to maybe sometimes act as an advocate for them too. If you think that they're in pain or if they're having, you know, sometimes they can be too stoic. Maybe you need to intervene with their with yeah. their GP or the palliative care nurses. There's Most people now will have a team that but will the help other thing, them with like this. Like if you're in the hospice and Dr. Dunner's fantastic up there, but like you have people who understand the condition of gravity. Sometimes you can be in hospital and as people get older, they are more stoic, but they are also like, I don't want to bother you, nurse kind of attitude. And in fact, because of their quiet and so on, and particularly if they don't have people coming in, very often nurses and doctors ignore them because they're busy and this person isn't making any noise here, so we ignore them. And that's where... 
the family visitor is in fact terribly important judges what the care is actually like and so on. Isn't that so? It is so. And hospitals are very impersonal places. And the difference between dying in hospital and dying in a hospice they're kind of chalk and cheese because I think most people would recognise that a hospice is a very positive environment to be unwell in and it's very supportive. But I think what I would say to this person is, like, listen, my heart goes out to you. I have a sister myself. You know, you just need to be there as much as you can. Give it as much time as you can and be as open and as willing to talk and as willing to listen as you can be. Now, you see, this fella or this person Mix. has a sore upper back. How do I know if I need a massage or go to a physio? Now, why in the name of God would you go for a massage? If you have upper back pain, you need to go to somebody who has expertise, surely. Do you I, not? I completely agree with you. It's all very well and good going for a massage if you just want to have a relaxing time yeah. of, of lying on, on a bed and somebody gives you a nice rub and nice oils and everything. But a physio will assess your back for a yeah. start and say, oh, do you know what? You have a knot here or you've pulled that or there's something going on here. And then they will also know how to treat it, which is which is different. So I would say absolutely if there is a problem with your back, a physio is the way to go. There's a pal of mine in America and he's just had this very operation. When I last saw him, it was in Chicago uh, last November. And he has since, I had my knee replacement and he had a shoulder replacement. Now, the listener says, I have frozen shoulder for about a year, little or no power in the arm. I was told I need a shoulder replacement. Yes, and then... This sounds like a big deal now, a well, shoulder replacement. Well, the shoulder joint is quite a complex joint. I mean, there, yeah. there, are, other jo- there are simpler joints in the body and, and the shoulder is a little bit of a tricky one. But it sounds to me like this person has seen an orthopaedic surgeon yeah, and has been advised because she, they went on. I, I think it was, I don't know why I think it was a woman. And she went on and said, you know, she was wondering about having something else done to it. I would suggest that, that the orthopod knows what he's talking about. Yeah. That they've looked at the MRI, they've looked at the x-rays, they've examined the shoulder and they're saying at this point, because you have this kind of capsulitis, because your shoulder is frozen. Yeah. And it's an awful debilitating thing. It's like being, it, it is a form of physical well, disability. Well, uh, you can't yeah. reach up to the kitchen cupboard. You can't lift the kettle. You can barely put on your clothes. You can't close your bra. So you have all that stuff going on. Well, I had no difficulty closing my bra, I have to confess. <laughs> you, you but but, f- but, but this Palamine really in America now, I was with him going out there he was in unbelievable yeah. pain like he he literally couldn't yeah. put his coat on yeah. like you know you can't necessarily drive you can't yeah, change gears right. all that i would suggest get it done if that's get what's required because most orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons and guys that work on this thing they will actually say to you not yet or go for it now or they will say to you yeah. you know there's nothing we can do for you have an injection yeah. take some medication so they don't go in necessarily and just willy nilly kind of say actually oh, we'll give you a new shoulder and see how you get on 